Hola, hola, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Sasso y Corazón. It's your girl, Ayana Kelly. Uh, we are back with another episode. Um, and because we are still in June, I'm going to emphasize that this one is really going to be focused on Immigrant Heritage Month. I think it is so underrated and people don't uh, talk about it enough. And uh, Mahmoud, I think you are one of the best people to have this conversation with. Uh, but before I dive into that, Mahmoud, can you introduce yourself real quick? Yeah. Hello, everyone. My name is Mahmoud Keter. I am an Egyptian immigrant living in Queens, New York. I am a mental health advocate. I am an entrepreneur. I'm a healer. And um, I feel like above all the titles, I'm human and human, human first. And so I try to live by reminding myself and others of that humanity that exists like beyond all the identities all the other identities that are important but still what brings us all together is that humanity snap 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 uh one piece that he left out is that we both happen to be hidden healers um it's long-standing relationship at this point uh that started a year ago uh at the white house which is insanity um and we've done a lot of work together here in the last year and some change. And I think some really great work, uh, can, all things considering, right? We didn't, we have no clue how far this thing was going to go. <laughs> we're, I think we're like absolutely crushing it. I haven't stopped talking about the campaign we've been building together like the last year. Almost, it comes up in almost every single conversation, every single opportunity I have to like brag and tell people and get the word out. I think it's one of the most historic and important mental health campaigns that have ever existed. And I think it sounds like I'm we're, I'm like, you know, bragging about us, but I, I'm really saying that and I'm confident in saying that because of the results that I've been seeing and we've been seeing like in our yeah. videos, the comments, the DMs, the, the impact when like I show a video even live, like Maddox and I, one of our other partners had done a, a class in person with a group of young people and we showed them we talked about the concept and just getting that live feedback even from young people and from people impacted by it has been mind-blowing so yeah it's been it's been truly an honor to do yeah it. yeah it's been dope it's been really nice um and who knows what the future holds y'all gonna have to stay tuned next season to figure it out <laughs> um all right so let's dive into this conversation so one of the common threads of our partnership is mental health. Uh, I know about the campaign. I know about all the other things, but let's talk about you. Can you tell us a little bit about your own mental health journey? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I shared a little bit in the beginning as an Egyptian immigrant. So this is kind of where my story starts. And I think being Egyptian and, and, and an immigrant are two unique parts of my story that really have helped shape who I am. And so being born in Egypt and, and spending, you know, the first 12, 13 years of my life in the Middle East, uh, in Egypt, but in also a few other countries and coming to America, I, you know, a huge family, alhamdulillah, mashallah, we have like mm -hmm. eight siblings and we, you know, like many families around the world, my parents moved for the American dream and they left so much behind. And I actually, I, I really, I'm still grasping this, but I'm realizing it more as I'm getting older, how much immigrant parents really give up. Like, I don't think I appreciated it enough when I was younger. And I, I think now I'm looking back and I'm seeing 
kind of like, you know, they're leaving behind their most important neighborhoods that they've grown up in, their favorite food spot down the block, their favorite aunt or uncle. They're leaving, you know, behind, they left behind their parents, their most beloved people in the world. And and to jump into a new environment, especially one that like when we moved, you know, we moved into a neighborhood that was had no pretty much no other like Middle Eastern or North African or Muslim uh, people in it. And so you're not moving into some sort of community. You're moving into like a space where you feel like you don't know anyone or anything. And that was my mm. initial experience coming to America. And I think a thread among all of the moves I made in the Middle East and coming here was that I f- always felt like an outsider. I always felt like I would come into a space and people would distinctly notice like this person did not grow up here or is not from here and I think you kind of feel it in the room and then you kind of hear it and those combined made me feel a lot of the time that I I just didn't belong I didn't belong in those spaces Mm -hmm. and and people go further to like do actions to exclude you you know I remember (laughs) I'm just I don't know why this is coming up now but there's like I remember like one of the people in in the first middle school that I came to, like I had this friend, I think his name was Michael. And I, well, I thought he was a friend and I just remember like hearing about a birthday party that he had. And I thought we were cool. And like people were talking about it. Like we had such a great time. I'm like birthday party. I remember getting so hurt just by that, Mm. not getting invited to a birthday party. I felt so hurt. And I think that that feeling of not belonging of feeling like an outsider you know that was the initial thing and then it kind of turned into like actual bullying and it turned into like physical bullying and it turned to Mm. like I really don't talk about the physical part almost at all my journey but like it went from language to like actually getting into fights and I didn't really know how to fight and so Mm up it just felt like a terrible feeling to like go to school and feel so unsafe I remember another time in middle school like this person like that did not like me would always call me a terrorist would like every time I just felt so scared around him because I I I was just scared for my life and one time like he was like quote unquote playing around with me and just like grabbed me by the chokehold and like choke me out until I passed out and I thought I died and people around were just like watching and like nobody did anything and I think that was like kind of the norm when you're growing up um, in middle school and like high school and spaces like that is that people think these things are I guess the bystander effect of like nobody really wants to say anything because they're like what's cool and they're afraid of the cool people and um, anyway so that happened uh, for a few years and at some point, I think when I was reflecting back on my journey, it kind of continued to happen for about a decade of like mm. not feeling like I belonged, of getting bullied. And then the mental health challenges that came with that kind of started to become ingrained. And so that looked like beginning to like hate my identity, beginning to hate myself, beginning to like hate who I am, where I came from, and trying my best to like distance myself away from that as much as possible. And um so I'm in college now and I'm like 10 years of like depression, anxiety, self-hate. And I, again, like I try to not paint like a fully 
sad and negative uh, narrative because I still had moments of accomplishment, moments of joy, moments of community. Moments of con- and I think we have to be so careful with how we label our stories and like write. It's kind of like writing a book and yeah. like in your book you don't want to just label a chapter as like this is the worst part of my life and and then you just talk about the negative experiences that they are so important to mention them and to honor them but like it is equally important to acknowledge all the other incredible things happening to you in your life yeah working on that narrative like more now and trying to like tell a little bit more and it's not even about being balanced it's just about telling a a more real story yeah Um, yeah yeah. I think as as humans, I think we are also sometimes wired to speak in absolutes, right? And think in that way too. So if we're talking about all the bad things, we think that there's nothing good. But just because there are some not so great things doesn't mean that there aren't beautiful moments in between, right? Like it doesn't negate it. It's just at the forefront. Um, but that's also how depression and anxiety work, right? Like we hyper-focus on some of the things that are making a spiral and not necessarily taking the time to sit in the light and the beauty and all the other things. Um, and I think we can do that. Um, and I think that's why, you know, part of the reason why I started this podcast is like, yeah, we go through some shit, uh, but we also are pretty great human beings. And you mentioned your family and the immigration story. And it just brought a lot up for me because most recently, you know, we had a family emergency and we had to get family together. And I think I realized that I've been so focused on all of the baggage that I've inherited Mm -hmm. that I have been forgetting to acknowledge the greatness that comes with being in an immigrant family because uh, you tend to lean on each other harder. You tend to, you know, come to, together as a unit a lot more, I think, or at least in my experiences. Yes, there are good times and bad times, but I forgot that it's also nice to be around my big family and that, yeah, we've laughed a lot, right? Yeah. Like in between the tears and the hardship, like we laugh yeah. a lot, we've yeah. danced a lot, we've created you know joy out of mud basically you know and so you know I want to ask you like what does the relationship with your family mean to you I mean I've met your mom shout out to mom but what has that meant for you and in your journey and how's it you know how's it impacted the way that you've you've healed Hmm. yeah well I think you said it so well um my relationship with my family right now is the most important relationship for me to work on and and to try my best to be present for i think reflecting on my life i have had such a roller coaster with the relationship just because i think going into american culture that it just it american versus egyptian culture is like such a drastic difference and yeah. like, I feel like coming into American culture where like it was more individualized, it was kind of less family centric. It was, it just felt like not cool to like have, to like mm. be like with your family, not cool to like talk about your family. It felt, and I mean, family, but also culture, religion, et cetera. So I think, I think I always tried my best to stay connected to my family and to love them. And I have, you know, little siblings that I absolutely adore and I've, 
you know, we've taken family trips. They've been such an important cornerstone for my mental health. And, you know, I, my mom saved my life. My mom, like, I mean, I, I think just my family existing, like if I had to go through this process of life without my family members or even one of them missing, it would be like a thousand times harder. I don't think I would have mm. made it without my family. Mm. Um, my mom specifically had seen like one of the hardest times of my life when I had kind of been at this breaking point in college after kind of this decade of suffering and I just couldn't take it anymore and I just I felt like I I just could not live with like the amount of like pain every day how crappy it felt how like overwhelming everything felt like getting out of bed felt over everything was just terrible at least that's what my mind was telling me yeah. And I was like the only, and it was just, that was my thinking process. It's terrible. The only way I can escape it is if I die. And it was just that straightforward. And mm-hmm. I tried to like work with the thoughts. I'm like, no, I don't want to die. I don't want to do, but like, I think the the more I let that thought fester, the the more I think I, I began to believe it. And I ended up attempting to end my life, but I, I noticed after my first attempt was that it wasn't that I really wanted to die. It was that I really want to end like the pain inside of me. And I want to end like the feelings of like hating myself and the feelings of like no hope and the feeling of like isolation. And, and my mom had like caught me one time when I was like, sadly, I, even after that first experience, I was still planning another one. I was like, nothing has worked. Nothing has worked. I went to like try to get therapy and like my my college counseling center was like, you got to wait three months. I'm like, I'm not waiting three months. Like, that's insane. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. when I, I was like, okay, it's really not going to work out. Maybe I'm just not meant to live anymore. And the only way really my mom stopped me was that one day when I was going up to my room and I like put out a plan. I was like, it's pretty clear. So what I'm going to do. And my mom had stopped me and literally stopped me as I go to my room and she like tapped my shoulder and she was crying and I was like what happened and she's like I have this note what does this mean it was like the note that I had written um Mm. that she wasn't really supposed to read until afterwards (laughs) but she like confronted me with it and it made me feel so angry at the time because I was like how could you invade my privacy right right so like unbelievable (laughs) and uh I and she didn't stop annoying me which I think is like such an important thing when you're like thinking about supporting someone especially people in your life who are really struggling and it's not the idea of annoying them but the idea of what it really is is to show that you are there and yeah. you are not going to stop caring about them even if they're going even if they're just like not acting themselves even if they're going through a hard time and even if as a result of that hard time they're not treating you the best and that's the hard that's the hardest but most important time to love someone mm. is when they're not their best and they're not able to give you their best and even their best could be a bit harmful hopefully not like physical or or any other way but like harmful in the sense that like they could I mean this is this is a really hard topic and I know there's a lot of opinions on it but I think when people are going through a lot and I was just really hard to bear Mm -hmm. like verbally it's just so hard to talk to me like I might curse someone out I'll just be like leave me the hell alone like nobody understands what I'm going through and like I feel like those moments are like the hardest but most important times to love someone yeah 
Yeah. Um, I mean, that's what love is, right? Like it doesn't have to just be romantic relationships. Love is when you know the other person has faults and you have your own faults and you still come together and still love each other anyway. And that could be friendships, that could be family relationships, romantic relationships, you know, whatever, however we're relating to people that in itself is the essence of love, right? Like, yeah, it's easy to love somebody when they all happy every time. And, you know, y'all go skipping down the park, but that's not, <laughs> that's not all life is. It the shit in between is where you really find out or right, who's showing up, who actually loves me, despite, you know, some of the things that may not be as nice, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's tough. I, um, I want to go back a little bit to identity and your story in general. I mean, we've talked a lot about this. I mean, it comes up, you know, in our conversations all the time, but how did you go from being so conflicted with your identity and, you know, having, being a victim of bullying and, and such difficult times because of your identity to harnessing its power and using it, you know, for, for your healing, right? Like we've, it's a shift. You go from, you know, somebody's picking on me because of, you know, I'm different, I'm taller, I'm an immigrant, you know, insert identity. So now we were just like, this is who we are. This is what we're going to do. And this is, you know, this is something that we're going to, you know, defend versus be afraid of or ashamed of. Mm. Yeah, that's like, that's such an important question. I think it never, like, it didn't happen overnight. It was such a gradual, slow process for me. Mm -hmm. And I, even like when I started to get like cool opportunities, like professionally, which part of it did help validate me like it was like like when I got like my first internship at like a big tech company I was like yeah like it's lit like I'm in there like (laughs) it felt good but it's not like when I showed up I wasn't still like oh this is who I am Egyptian immigrant I think I was still like a little bit afraid of like how people would treat me but at least I was like at least I I just felt a little bit more like it's so hard to describe I, I think when I, it feels like I got a little bit of power and validation and that made me feel like I belong in the room Mm -hmm. and I was seeking a lot of my validation professionally. I think that's what I I'm realizing talking to you right now is like, I really didn't get it like from friendships and groups, especially when I was younger. And my first job, like was just doing like delivery bus boy when I was like 13. And I think from there, I just started to chase the professional route because it was pretty it's pretty clear like if you do a good job you're gonna get paid like and I started to like work on my mindset etc so I think it was a very gradual process I think I used my professional world to validate my identity and I think Mm -hmm. over time it just kind of became like if you don't like me like I don't care because and if you're gonna discriminate against me you're gonna be racist a lot of it I think hasn't been as verbal as I was growing up like I feel it sometimes but Mm -hmm. it's like I know my worth now. And I think it just took that process of like slowly getting to know myself. And like, it was a lot of healing experiences and moments like in between that, like I had eventually like landed in therapy for a bit and that worked my identity for like a few months. I had like surrounded myself with more people who were like, not just Egyptians, but like other, other, I mean, in college, city college of New York and Harlem is like 
one of the most diverse schools in the country and has like a huge immigrant population and like shout out to Cooney. And and I think that was like validating too. I'm realizing like being around that community where like everyone there was like pretty much an immigrant or like son of immigrant, child of immigrants. And I think, yeah, so I think it was a very gradual process. And then I think the last two or three years it's been it's been more intentional in the way that I'm like pushing myself to like go to the masjid, go to the mosque in person, get to know my community, go to like community events, getting to know more Egyptians and immigrants and like, you know, in 2018, getting to go to Egypt again after not going for a long time and seeing mm-hmm. my family. So it's been very gradual, but like there are parts that have been more intentional and have been like accelerants. And yeah. then other parts that I think it was kind of like a becoming that was like meant to happen. Mm. Snap, snap. Write that down for your memoir one day. <laughs> oh man. No, I, I really appreciate that that statement you said that it's a becoming, it's an, a gradual experience. I think I experienced very similarly because it you know, I was born here, but I am still a daughter of immigrants. And you still find yourself in like this in-between, right? Like trying to relate to the people you grow up with or the people who are here in your community, but also a very, very strong connection with our home country and our culture and the, you know, the things that sometimes make us a little bit different. And it's really hard to reconcile it to when you don't accept it yourself. And when you're trying to seek it, seek that validation from other people, right? Like for the longest time, like I didn't wear my hair natural. Like I didn't speak Spanish in certain places. Like it was just a thing. I didn't realize I was doing it until I got out into the world. And then like a big ass mirror was put in front of my face. And I'm like, oh wait, who is Ayana? Like what parts of me am I going to embrace? And what parts of me am I going to let go just because I've been moving like other people, you know, that's hard. I love that. That's hard. It's yeah. hard, but like, isn't it so rewarding to like go through that process? It's a relief. Relief, yeah. It's mm-hmm. a relief because now I can, like you you take me as I am or you don't at all. And that's the part where like, in that part, I will be absolute. Where I'm like, I'm not splitting myself and dicing myself up into 10 different pieces to make it palatable for you. That's the whole reason why we're song, right? Like you getting all the seasoning and all the heart and all the stuff that comes with it. And if not, that's okay. Like, go on and, and find something else bland. <laughs> but that's not what we're doing over here. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that that internal struggle is, is a lot, especially when you don't vocalize it, right? Like, you you know, going around in circles and in your own head and trying to figure out, damn, what does this mean for me? You know, like, all the big life questions that you'd be asking. It's hard. Have you, have you ever found yourself, like, battling between the things you know, are good for you and your mental health and like the cycles that just continue because of like other learned behaviors? Oh man, this question is, um, yeah, this is a hard one because I think it's really, really hard to break out of like cycles of behavior that are not good for you. And especially when those cycles are like, not just like behavior and action, but also like thinking like mm-hmm. I remember I don't remember the actual number but it was I remember reading something like every day you have like over 80,000 thoughts and it's like such an insane thing whether that number is true <laughs> that ballpark and like and this this author Mo Galdet was also just talking about like how many of them are like negative thoughts just like 
about who you are, about, and so many of them are also rooted in expectations about how everything is supposed to go. And mm-hmm. so you're just constantly thinking throughout the day, like you have, you might already, I've already had like a negative narrative about myself. And then because of that, it's like, you're not moving from a place of love and light and inspiration. You're moving from a place of like shame, fear, doubt. And oh my God, that is such a, it's such a hard place to move from. And I think yeah. for me it was one of the hardest, I still battle with it. And it's, I, but I've been a lot more intentional about having practices throughout my day to try to break those habits because I know like when I start my day like I was just writing some things today that I'm just I'm just so grateful for and there are small things and they're bigger things I was like I'm grateful I saw this person last week and like we didn't really get to speak but like I saw them and I bumped into them by accident what a beautiful Mm. like part of life and I think those small things have helped and so I think generally for me and for many others there we know a lot about like what is good for our mental health like we know there's a knowing there's a common sense but there's not a common action or like a common in 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 actually implementing and that's the hard part the hard part is actually doing something about it and yeah and you can't do it yourself getting the help to do something about it um so yeah, I think for me that's it's been like the negative thinking patterns and I've had negative behaviors. I've struggled with addiction, I've struggled with substance use, I've struggled with a lot of other like really harmful behaviors that have been incredibly hard to break out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think with new like different approaches and like community and realizing like I can get support especially outside of like not just a clinician's office has been really really helpful in like building those newer habits. Yeah. Yeah. Ditto. Oh my gosh. Like I know all the things and I'll still have four or five days in a row where I'm just like dissociating, scrolling on social media, you know, not really doing the things that I enjoy and it is hard to break it. And this this is actually perfect timing. I listened to, um, you'll love this. I listened to Jay Shetty's uh, podcast and one of the most recent episodes is talking about how overthinking and overanalyzing really does have an impact on your mind and on your body. And the way that you get to changed behavior is accessing the place in your subconscious where Mm -hmm. you can shift the way that you think about things, right? Like Mm -hmm. science, they apparently, it's apparently scientifically proven that the way that your brain kind of fires off certain signals, the more that you fire off those signals, the more that they couple with each other and the easier it is for it to reoccur. So if we have negative feelings, negative, you know, uh, body signals and they're coupled together, it's almost just like a on repeat. Um, and a lot of the things that they were talking about was like meditation and being able to like calm your brain waves. And I'm like, this is perfect timing for this conversation <laughs> I love because that. it is true. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you definitely called me out because I am one of those people where it's really, really hard for me to slow down my brain waves. But when I do, it is it is a like a completely different feeling. You get like this feeling of of calm and stillness and like everything seems so much clearer. Um, but I think it's hard for us to get between running 100 miles per hour to all right, let's go zero and, you know, tap in. Your, I mean, that's so on point. I feel like that podcast, was it with uh, Joe Dispenza? 
Sounds like uh, yes. Yeah. He's so great. I haven't dug into his actual work that much, but I've listened to his podcast too. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, what, what really helped me actually like have like a better, okay. So when, usually when that stuff happens to me, I'm so guilty on myself. And then I remember how there are so many bigger factors at play that influence our behavior and it's just mm-hmm. like, just alone like societal expectations about like how the world is and just like what we it's societal expectations and then like the amount of like media we consume what we have access to there's a negativity bias in general like in the world we focus more on the most terrible things that are happening in the world than we yeah. do on good news stuff there i mean the, the, this problem is so bad just like societally that like this i think these people started a company called the good life movement and they're mm-hmm. just like sharing good news and they're just just to wow. focus your brain a little bit more on like hey like the world is not all this way and then even what you said about social media and scrolling like similar there like we are trying to like uh you know i've been thinking and it's like we have the best psychologists in the world and therapists, et cetera, trying to heal the country and they're trying to heal people because we've been through so much as, uh, as you know, hum- human race. And then you have the other best psychologists in the world that are hired by big tech companies to design mm. products. And so this is just social media. So you can think about all the other things in society that have been designed to make us ill. And the only, yeah. and they're doing it not, most of the time they're not doing it because, oh, we want to kill people, but they're doing it because they're like, oh, this is profitable. And this exposes and gets a, a human need that we know people are going to pay for, even if it's bad for them. Yeah. I like cigarettes passed in the past and they were able to still continue alcohol. Like I understand in moderation is good, blah, blah, blah. But like, it's also why a lot of thing and social media, I think is that new, huge, big thing. It's like, we're so guilty and like shameful for ourselves for like not putting the phone down after five hours, but like they've hired the best firms and and the best hundreds of designers to design it that way. So yeah. I just say that awareness for myself to remind myself, oh my God, okay, this is why this is so hard. And this is why I keep going back to my psychism patterns because I'm not putting myself, I need to push myself out of them. And then I need to think about who are the other people that are creating the new healthy cycles and patterns and communities that I can push myself into. So I don't think I have to individually deal with these problems. Yeah. These problems are societal, they're group, they're community oriented. So how can I push myself into like a different area that will help me? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. My therapist, like <laughs> she calls me out on this all the time where we receive passive messages all day ever. There's something, it's some, some ridiculous number of like 10 to 20,000, you know, passive messages, whether it's ads on social media, commercials, or, you know, just unspoken things that you're, you're, you're ingesting whether you like it or not. And it's, you know, you're, you're fighting against that, right. Plus all of the other things. And so, yeah, I have to remind myself, like it is everywhere. Right. And I can curate at least in my own little bubble, right? Like don't watch very specific things, unfollow things that are toxic, like toxic and try to find the good stuff like you said. Um, but that's hard and it doesn't happen overnight, right? But it's like one thing at a time, right? I will report spam on all the emails that I get. <laughs> you know, if it just means that I'm not going to get crowded and bombarded with stuff in my email too, right? Um, but there, there are most certainly so many things at play and You'll appreciate this too. I was reading um, Ramit Sethi's book, I Will Teach You How to Get Rich. 
And yes, it is about money, but a lot of it, because he studied psychology, is about money psychology and a lot of the unspoken stuff that comes along with money and the, our behaviors and the way that we show up. We're just like, we have to do this. But like, do you really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Highly recommend, by the way. Really great book. <laughs> I haven't um, read it yet, but I, I saw like one or two episodes of his show on Netflix and I thought this is such a genius. Have you seen the show? Yeah, I saw we binge watched it all, all like every single episode like, in one I night. I watch this with my family, like, and that was another part of my childhood, like the amount of money problems and like, just like financial issues that still haven't stopped. But like, that's one huge factor that I feel like, yeah, like you said, going into the psychological, behavioral, like part of it is like so critical. Yeah, so yeah, absolutely. My my anxiety and my need to control also comes out in the way that I handle money. I've had to like really, really work on, okay, what is this doing for me? Mm-hmm. And is this really healthy? Right. And it's actually been pretty liberating to kind of let go of some of that because it really wasn't getting me anything. It was just causing more anxiety and stress. Mm-hmm. And now it's set up in a way that I can let it go. And I don't have to necessarily pass that on to my kids. Right. And they'll be better off for it. But yeah, that conversation did not happen with my family right there's a lot of unhealthy money habits that come from that and and yes you're right that contributes a lot to you know how we were raised and some of the some of the hardships that that we've experienced which which is tough but if you could go back to your younger self with all the stuff that you know now what would you tell yourself oh my god this question is i've had so many like different thoughts about it i think I think it, I think I would encourage my younger self to commit um this is really hard. I feel like I would I would just tell them like commit to your self and your healing process more and like and forgive yourself. And don't be so hard on yourself mm. and know that like it's not going to happen overnight like be consistent be disciplined towards it but you know this it's just the younger self-advice is so hard because i i have a feeling that like i with everything i knew at that time i tried my best and then i have this other feeling that like i'm like well if i tell myself i tried my best all the time or i'm trying my best it might not be really fair to myself because then I'm not pushing myself to to try new things and like expand my potential. So it's yeah. a really tough question. I don't, I think that's like my initial thoughts on it, but yeah, I would, uh, I'd probably just like push them to commit more to like their healing. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a good one. All right. Let's get back to the present. Let's not be hard on ourselves on our younger self. What <laughs> advice, what advice do you give to others out there that are struggling to to heal and find even the smallest of healthier behaviors for themselves and their mental health. I've said in the past to start small and like the power of starting small and like doing small things and building momentum. But right now in my life, I've honestly been like a, a bigger fan of starting big. <laughs> like the opposite because it's like so much can work for you it's you just have to try so many things and yeah. starting big for me has been so important because I was just like tired of I did the small I build the momentum and then I just feel like 
I like fell off and like I just it wasn't a big enough commitment for me so recently like I did a few weeks ago I did the smoothie cleanse and I did I was like I'm doing a 10-day smoothie cleanse and it's like green smoothies you know no really no other food except for like some nuts some things it's just something I wanted to do and I wanted to try and it's a big commitment but like mm-hmm. commitments also come with like big inspiration and they come with like a big excitement with them and they and you can really rally around that to give you that momentum and to give you that excitement to like try something new, try yeah. something big, try, plan a big trip, uh, you know, uh, take a big vacation, um, start big on a habit. And I feel like, why not? Like, allow yourself to go outside of this like process of of you've done things in the past certain way. I think like flip it and try something completely out of the box. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah that's what I would say and of course like don't lose hope because even when if you tried big and it didn't work try again and keep trying this is life life will never the beauty of life is that we experience the full spectrum of emotion and pain and sadness and loneliness and tragedy and then we also experience the happiness and we feel meaningful and life I don't think really necessarily by any measure like gets easier but I think you get better over time you get better you're still going to face hardships you're going to face ups and downs and it's going to be tough and and you just don't know like there's a next tragedy coming for all of us I hate to say it like it's such a sad thing to think about but like Mm -hmm. there's a tragedy coming and right now like trying to enjoy not having like a big tragedy in my life right now is a nice thing to think about but I also think like I'm building myself because I know that like I'm getting better and that when the next thing comes, I'll have more skills. I'll have more grace. I'll have more forgiveness to give myself for that. And there's a beauty in just accepting life as it is. Uh, Not to say like to be content, but to say this is the full spectrum of life. So yeah, go big, you know, uh, keep developing yourself and be inspired, do things in community and don't give up on yourself. Mic drop. That's it. That's the episode. <laughs> awesome. 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 Mahmoud, yeah. Go ahead. I appreciate you for showing up and sharing a lot of really vulnerable stuff with us. You know, I think I learned something new every deepest conversation that we have. And I just want to tell you how deeply grateful I am for our partnership and just that we've, you know cross each other's paths in the last year and some change. Um, and I just know that your story and your testimony are going to change people's lives and that people should hear it. So thank you. Thank you so much. And you are like one of the most incredible leaders. You lead with love. You have such creative ideas. I love that you're doing this podcast. Some of the most meaningful conversations I've heard that I haven't even texted you about have been on the podcast. Um, and thank you for uplifting the stories and the important conversations that we need to have so really appreciate you thank you so much appreciate it all right y'all that's been another episode of sasuni corazon y'all take care of yourselves be kind go big or go home that's okay but still keep hope (laughs) we'll see you on the next one